complimentary power moves that you can do in the office or on the field or wherever your octagon or dojo of life happens to be. On the house, courtesy of Emerson Dameron, LA's number one avant-garde motivational speaker, if you see somebody you want to get some leverage on and that person asks you if you're having a nice day, say the best day of the rest of your life. They may not like you, but they will damn sure respect you. If you realize that you've said too much and you regret what has tumbled out of your mouth, say to the assembled, I trust you because you are wise enough to keep my secrets. That will shut them up good. This is Emerson Dameron, LA's number one avant-garde motivational speaker and host of Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes on K-Chung, kchungradio.org, medicated-minutes.com. I love you personally. Levity saves lives. You're listening to K-Chung, Los Angeles, 1630 AM in Chinatown, kchungradio.org, on the web elsewhere. Specifically, you're listening to Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes. Medicated-minutes.com is the dedicated site for the show. My name's Emerson Dameron. I'm the host, creator, producer, director, the star of Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes. And normally, I'm the only person that you hear on the show. But today is an exception to that. Uh, We have a guest... Uh, his name is Adam Papagan. Uh, he is a Keqiong alumnus, which we briefly get into. We talk about some of the stuff that he does around town. He's kind of a cultural impresario. Uh, he came up doing cable access television. Uh, he does live shows where he curates some of the best moments in cable access on... Uh, the Los Angeles channels, and it's very funny. I recommend it if you get a chance to go. Uh, he's also running for governor. There's a recall election coming up, uh, and Adam is going to be on the ballot, and he is stopped in to talk about that. And I think he's having a bit of a rough time. I will uh, warn you up front that he... Uh, seems to be a little bit chastened by his experience. We talked about it a little bit uh, off the recording. And he, I think he was inspired by the spectacle and the hurly-burly of Total Recall 2003, where Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected governor of California over Gray Davis. And I think for him and for me and for a lot of us that feels like long ago and far away uh, possibly a more innocent time maybe just by virtue of what's going on in our own lives and uh, obviously in a lot of ways it was not an innocent time at all Uh, the recall was largely uh, inspired by the uh, power outages that had been going on, which it turned out were very much orchestrated by the Enron Corporation endangering human lives in pursuit of profit. If you watch the documentary, The Smartest Guys in the Room, which I also heartily recommend, that's what led in some ways directly to the recall election of 2003. But I think... Adam and I both remember the circus and the entertainment value of that. And uh, I think this one, this time, this epoch is just a little rougher on a lot of us. I will level with you. I've not been feeling great lately. Uh, I've been uh, having an awkward reentry into Earth's atmosphere as things reopen obviously it's a blessing to be getting out and uh, seeing people and getting involved in things but in a lot of ways it's been really intense and in a lot of ways my nerve endings are fried and I'm a little bit chafed and I think that's true of Adam too and I think it comes across in the conversation and with that I present to you my very first 
special guest on a very special politics episode of Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes. I'm glad you're here for this. Uh, Here's my chat with Adam Papagan. You're listening to K-Chung, Los Angeles, 1630 AM. If you're in the Chinatown area of Los Angeles, also on the web, kchungradio.org. The name of this show is Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes. Website for the show is medicated-minutes.com. I am Emerson Dameron, the host and the brain trust of the program. Uh, On September 14th of this year, uh, Californians will go to the polls to determine the fate of our embattled Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, He is up for recall and potentially thousands of challengers uh, will be vying for that position uh, in the event that he is stricken down by the voters. And one of them is with us on today's episode of the program. Uh, He's a a local gadabout uh, tour guide in various ways, kind of a authority on underground culture in Los Angeles and an ambassador for same, possibly one of the world's leading authorities on the OJ Simpson case uh, with the exception of OJ himself. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Oh, also an alumnus of K Chung, uh, just in the interest of full disclosure, which uh, presents an, array of conflicts of interest, but that's life in the big city. My guest today is Adam Papagon. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hi, great to be here. Thank you. So uh, of the potentially thousands of candidates uh, running in this recall election coming up, uh, what makes you the best? Uh, I don't know if I'm the best, but there probably aren't any good candidates. So you might as well vote for me because I'm going to be honest with you about this whole process and what a scam politics are. Politics in California are, in some ways, it's more of a participatory democracy than you get in some other states. I moved here most recently from Chicago, which um, is a feudalist nightmare compared to California. Here we get to vote on all kinds of things. Uh, we have props and there's a lot of other stuff on the ballot. Uh, how, uh, explain why that's a scam. Well, because here's the thing, Emerson. Uh, the only way you can even get into the conversation of you know having your views heard or getting a proposition on the ballot is if you're already rich. It's so complicated, especially trying to do this on my own and work. It's basically impossible. I have to take off work anytime I need to go file some paperwork or, you know, do some BS or send in my tax returns or, you know, whatever whatever other hoop they want me to jump through. To even, you know, be able to hire, hire a political consultant, I didn't hire a campaign manager, I didn't hire a treasurer. I'm doing this all myself. And so to even be able to do this, you already have to be sort of privileged and uh, sort of have an edge. And if you're rich, why would you want anything to change? You're already on top. If anything, you're going to want to make things easier for people like you. So that's why it's a scam. It's this illusion illusion of democracy. But really, it's just you're you're picking between uh, the lesser of two evils. And I don't even know if there's one that is a lesser side. It's just all kind of ruling class mentality. Yeah, there's no ultimate hierarchy of evil. No, uh, no ranking of, of evil from from most to least. It's all just different flavors. I mean, Gavin Newsom is Nancy Pelosi's nephew. His ex-wife is with Donald Trump Jr. Do you really think there's going to be some huge ideological divide between people like this? I mean, they're intermarrying, for God's sake. He also kind of resembles the uh, basketball, like a, the the basketball coach on a team that would be playing against Air Bud. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Like he, well, he kind of reminds me of the Green Goblin too. The, yeah, I, the, uh, the Willem Dafoe's portrayal of the Green Goblin. Yeah. Or the one from the comic book, but just, you know, like a corrupt businessman who thinks he's, uh, you know, above the law. 
So I mean, it is obviously a stacked deck in a lot of ways, but you're making it happen. Uh, you are you're in the in the arena. What's that like? Uh, it's it's stressful to be honest with you. Um, you know, you just are like as a politician, you're just like hated. It's kind of it's an interesting thing. All you guys really have to do is you know put on a tie and a jacket and be like, I'm a politician now, and people will listen to you for a little bit. But then they'll be really mad at you for not having answers to these complicated problems that no one seems to be able to solve. Um, which only makes me think that for someone to go through being a public figure like this and being hated so much, if you're already rich to begin with, there must be serious rewards on the other side of this that we don't even know about. But there must be some serious incentive to be hated, especially if you're an egomaniac like all these politicians are. It, it could be some sort of masochism. No, be, not every single one. It's 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 a racket for sure. You don't you don't think it's all of them? No, it's it's no because it's a racket. Because like for example, one thing I learned from doing this, um, you know, to uh, there are limits on you know campaign donations, obviously. Right. And uh, to do a campaign, you have to have a political committee. But once you've established this committee, um, as long as you operate within the rules of the law, there are a lot of loopholes. There's a lot of ways to move money around. For example, you can loan your campaign money and then pay yourself back with donations that you get. So you can put $10,000 into your campaign, go around to all your you know rich buddies, all these companies or whatever. They donate to the limit and then you just take that money back out. Now you have this war chest that you're building. If you win an election, or even if you lose the election, actually, you can all you have to do is file an amendment to your committee, say it's for something else, and that money just rolls over into whatever other endeavor you want to do. Also, the political parties, of which really we only have two of them, right. and not that different, um, no limit to how much money they can spend to support a candidate, uh, nor how much money somebody can give to a political party. So that all sounds kind of hopeless. Uh, what what yeah. keeps you fighting? Well, you know, I said I was going to do this. And so I'm a man of my word and I wanted you to see if I could do it. And here we are. So in the inevitable event of your victory, what are the challenges that California is facing right now that you're most excited about tackling as governor? I think everyone can agree what the problems in California are. They are homelessness, wildfires, the rising cost of living, uh, and the general inequality that has been plaguing all societies for the, from the beginning of time. Yeah, I think it's there's you could either kind of be worked to death or worked to the point of being of, of not really being an agent. In, in the sense that you can participate in politics for a lot of the reasons that you described, or you can really fall through the cracks. As most people do, because again, Emerson, not everyone's a hustler like me. Not everyone can, you know, start a successful tour business. Not everyone can program hilarious uh, supercuts of public access television. Not everyone can uh, write music and uh, be in a rock band, you know? So I'm already kind of have an edge over a lot of people and I'm finding this incredibly challenging and hopeless. And I, you know, when I started doing this, I thought it was going to be a big joke, but it is so hard and difficult and negative that it's not even worth it to do it as a joke. Now my eyes are open. I just want to tell people what a racket it really is. Honestly, that is an excellent public service. Uh, is but what I know you've gotten some flack from, I, I think just the whole phenomenon of, of Donald Trump kind of broke people's brains where, uh, it used to be that there were different approaches to voting. Some people would say, don't vote. It only encourages them. Some people would vote strategically or for third parties or on single issues, I think now there's some hostility on the part of, of liberals to, to anyone who's not supporting the Democrat. Is that something you've noticed? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, you got to realize it's the same playbook for either side. 
So anything that Republicans are doing in Republican states to disenfranchise Democrats, you better believe they're doing them here in California to disenfranchise anyone who has a, a dissenting view. Also, like liberals are bad. They're not like leftists is, I think, where we all want to be. I know it's a dirty word and socialism, all that. But like neoliberalism is like they're just Republicans. Like it's the same. It's all the same mumbo jumbo. It's all the same like work hard and, and you'll you'll be successful. And like it's been proven now over the past few decades. That's not true. Maybe in our parents' generation, all you would have to do is work hard and you could have a house and a family and a car and enough food on the table. But nowadays, especially for my generation, that is not the fact. Now, the flip side is you're never going to achieve anything without hard work. That is true. But just working hard, there's no guarantee you're ever going to get anything out of it. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, I think it's... um... You can't really do it if you're not willing to work, but it is also largely contingent on luck and especially on who your parents are. That, I would say, is the main factor. I actually did an interview with um, Cal Matters, and uh, the reporter was like, well, why start it? You have never held public office. Why start a governor? Why not do city council like Gavin Newsom did to get started? And I was like, no, I think the way you get started is your dad is in politics. That's right. how you Started. And she sort of chuckled a little bit and moved on. And it's just like, oh, this is just so dirty. Everyone knows. Well, uh, you mentioned, uh, I mean, you're the kind of person that if it were possible to rise through the ranks strictly on, on your own steam through hustle and moxie, you would have as good a shot as a lot of people I know. Uh, you mentioned that you're an artist, you're a musician, you're kind of a media figure. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your pedigree? Yeah, I uh, started doing public access television when I was uh, 15 years old. Uh, I always kind of go back to it. It's nice. Um, but that's a very uh, democratic institution, though, public access television. You know, it doesn't matter. The ultimate, yeah. It really is. It's just like, you know what? You got something to say. We will put you on the air and it'll be heavily subsidized by big corporations. I mean, that's actually the ultimate. Um, that should be. That's what our democracy, that's what our government should be. Um, did that. It was in the David Liebehart band. I uh, have my tour company, Cool LA Tours. Did the OJ Simpson tour, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills tour, and the Curb Your Enthusiasm tour. Uh, my new band, Dr. Alien, just recorded the first side of our record this past weekend. More on that to come probably after the election, because this has taken up a lot of my time. Um, I've curated the O.J. Simpson Museum. Uh, what are some other of my, my projects? Viper Video, my uh, straight-to-VHS uh, live punk concert series uh, that I that I uh, filmed and distributed. Um, I don't know. I just sort of, uh, you know, I go where the wind takes me. And uh, it's been good to me thus far. But it's uh, it's a tough world out there, Emerson. So you're L.A. born and raised, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, West Side. Yes, specifically. I currently live in Venice. Uh, sometimes it feels like a lot of the, uh, the creative energy is on the East Side right now, but it's an interesting time to be over here in a lot of other ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like the West Side better, but when I was driving around um, in, in July getting uh, all my signatures for my petition... Uh, I was mainly going to people I knew because I knew they would sign them and they lived, they who were who they said they would. And even if it took a little more time, they were going to at least be quality signatures. And uh, yeah, everyone lives on the East side. Well, so quite a few people in Venice uh, were living on the beach until kind of recently. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I've observed having lived here for the better part of a year has been kind of a whole society that came up on oceanfront walk with the encampments, uh, which I, there's been talk of doing something like the echo park sweeps. I don't know how feasible that is. I hope that that's not what happens, but uh, one upshot of that is that kind of recently uh, we had Venice Neighborhood Council elections and just a whole slate of NIMBYs got elected. So, yeah, it is a little bit discouraging. But uh, I think 
But what do you think are, if anything, the advantages in terms of one's own well-being in participating in the democratic process or the or the civic process somehow? <sighs> Honestly, this is the most I just listed all my credits and projects and that wasn't even a complete list. This is the most negative ugly thing I've ever been involved in. There's really no upshot of doing this. It's going to cost me a lot of money. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of work. Um, there, there's, a, I'm sorry to tell you, maybe then you can become a lizard person too. If you get in, in their world and you can, <laughs> you can get into their ranks and then, you know, your life will be a little bit easier. Um, certainly with what we're seeing in the, the now and in the last couple of years of just growing inequality and um, the haves and the have nots uh, might be a good idea now to position yourself with the haves so that you and your children will be able to, you know, have dinner uh, in the next couple of years when the earth is so hot that, uh, you know, people are just left to die um, <laughs> during the summer months. Uh, you know, if they can't afford air conditioning or, uh, you know, things like that. I don't know. I, I'm looking ahead and uh, I'm not seeing a lot to be optimistic about besides the fact that I might be able to switch sides and uh, have there will be some self-preservation uh, elements to this. If you did switch sides, would you tell us or would you keep it to yourself? Well, see, that's kind of my brand is telling everyone about the thing, you know, and how it really works. And that's kind of my advantage. So then that's the other ugly part about this is now that I know all of this and I can tell people about it and I get attention for like knowing about like in-kind donations and uh, behested donations and like all this shady stuff. Now I'm benefiting from this shady system. So like there's, there's, there's no good aspect of this at all. Yeah. I guess that begs the question of what, like who is really benefiting Obviously, there are people that are getting rich on the backs of everyone else in a way that they must know is not really sustainable. Like there was that piece in Medium a couple of years ago from Douglas Rushkoff, who uh, said that he gave a talk to a bunch of billionaires in Silicon Valley. And the two things that they asked him about were, uh, which crypto should I buy and how should I keep my paramilitary goons from turning against me? Yeah. Which tells me that even the people in the highest echelons have know that none of this is sustainable. Yeah, but they'll be fine anyway. Like, you know what I mean? Like, look at all those communist countries that fell. Like, the oligarchs and the, like the, the people who are at the top in communism... Yeah, they just settled somewhere else. You know, they took their money with them and they were set up and, you know, they were fine. I won't be around to see it, but I guess my one of my hopes is that uh, that bees outlast humans on Earth, because I think the bees could put it back together after we're gone. Oh, that'd be great. I, I support the bees. So you did you mentioned I like, had just how nasty this has been. Uh not to pick at any scabs, but I'd love to hear you go into a little bit more detail about what the seamiest aspects of California politics have been. Um, okay, I'll tell you what. Um, July, so once they finally certified the recall, even though they knew it was going to happen, the lieutenant governor waits until July 1st to certify it. Okay, the uh, paperwork period to get the what's called a uh, the in lieu of paperwork. So basically, uh, there's a filing fee that you have to do to run for office. Right. Which in this case is four thousand one hundred ninety four dollars and ninety four cents. It I, don't quote me on that, but it's it's around forty one hundred dollars, which is two percent of the annual salary of the governor. So if you're making you know two hundred thousand dollars a year, yeah, which is not bad. Yeah. Um, right. If you're anyone else, uh, yeah, that's a big chunk of change. That's a used Camry. You know what I mean? Like that's like, that's my next car basically. Right. This filing fee. However, if you can get enough signatures, they knock off a little bit of the filing fee. 
Now, the number of signatures you need to get to cancel out the filing fee, 7,000 signatures. So it, it just makes more sense to just pay the money outright than go around and get 7,000 signatures. But anyway, the in lieu of paperwork, the only way that you could possibly, possibly get around this filing fee and do this as someone who doesn't have a lot of resources. Um, so July uh, 2nd at 4 p.m., they released the paperwork. The L.A. County Registrar Recorder's Office or whatever your county registrar recorder office is the only place you can pick up this paperwork. Uh, they close at 5 p.m. I had to drive down to Norwalk on that Friday, the 2nd, you know, had to move work around, cancel some stuff or whatever, drive down to Norwalk, pick up the paperwork. The office is closed the 3rd, the 4th, and the 5th for 4th of July. So if you have any questions or anything, you can't call them. The paperwork is due on the 6th. Now, after that, there's another period where you can just get your 65 signatures, but then you still got to run around and do that and pay the filing fee and all that. Um, but basically, everyone at the registrar recorder's office was like, yeah, they did this on purpose, you know, because it's a holiday weekend, you know, right. make people. like that's just it's just established that this was, you know, on purpose to prevent the circus that it already is. Yeah, that's uh, seems hopeless to to try to make it less of a circus. And then this tax return thing is such BS. So also within the last you know month or so, um, they they put it through that in order to be eligible as a candidate for governor, you have to disclose your tax returns. So it's not like these are just your state tax returns for California, your federal tax returns. And so that was sort that started as like an F you to Trump, right? I don't think was so. my understanding. Well, that's how they're billing it because you know we hate Donald Trump, we hate Republicans here in California, we're Democrats. Um, we're the, yeah, we're the good people. But it's no, it was just to discourage people, and make things harder because. And thankfully, I had copies on hand of my tax returns from the last five years, because if I didn't, it takes 75 days to request them from the IRS. Yeah, um, I, I don't have those. Yeah. So thankfully, I did have them. And I only had them for the last five years. If I had to go back any further, I wouldn't I would be out already. Um, but for that, I had to send in two hard copies of the tax returns, one of which were redacted, needed to be redacted. So that's like 700 pages of documents I had to print out at Kinko's because I don't own a printer. And even if I did, the ink cost on that. I mean, come on. Hello. Uh, then I had to sit there and go through by hand, redacting my social security number, my contact information, all that stuff. Overnighted it to Sacramento. Cost another, you know, $50 to do that. I called in that following Monday. That was Thursday. That following Monday, I called the secretary of state. I'm like, Hey, did you get my tax returns? Are we all good? Because, you know, the filing fee is non-refundable. And they're like, uh, we got to check the mail. Hold on. We'll, we'll call you back. And then they call me back later that day. They're like, yeah, we got them. And I was like, okay, well, do you have everything you need? Like, do they look all right? And they're like, uh, we don't know. Call back Friday. And so I was like, all right, well, I hope everything's hunky-dory. So this seems to have to be taking a toll on you. This process, wait, yeah, is that sucks, from- dude. politics sucks? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Whatever, you know, like it is what it is. You're staying grounded and staying hydrated and all of that. I trust. Yeah, I'm trying to. And I think ultimately this will be a good thing that I did this. I think that it's. Um, it's uh, this is going to be a good learning experience and um, it will ultimately pay off. I do believe that. It's also which it will be a relief either way when it's over, I would imagine. Yeah, but I mean, the election is September 14th. It's almost here. So, you know, yeah, it's up. coming. Yeah. So when uh, when that does happen, uh, assuming that you are elected governor, uh, what would you, what do you think California as, as a state apparatus could theoretically do about the wildfires and climate change? Uh, you know, this is another thing too, where everyone's like, oh, you can't, you know, this capitalist system. Oh, we can't do that. It's too expensive. Oh, government spending. It's too high. This, that, and the other. We are already in a hugely wasteful system. Hugely oh, yeah. Wasteful. We use so many more resources 
compared to you know other parts of the world and other people. So th- this argument that like you can't do this, that, or the other because it's inefficient or it's wasteful really doesn't hold any water for me. So um, I don't know, controlled burns. I'm not a firefighter, but controlled burns, sprinkler systems. I know everyone laughs at Trump for saying that we should rake the forests, but right. uh, I don't know. There's a lot of burnable stuff in those forests. Let's clear it out. How about we get those inmate firefighters who get paid, you know, pennies on the dollar. And then when they get out of jail, they're not allowed to become firefighters because they have criminal records. Uh, let's put them to work uh, and pay them, by the way, a decent wage. Put anybody to work. Uh, just cleaning up the forest, making sure that these conditions uh, to start the fire go away. Whatever money it costs, it's going to be well worth it because these wildfires get worse and worse every year. And Gavin has no plan on this. He has no plan. He actually lied and he got caught lying about how much fire prevention, how much money he had set aside to do it and how much was actually being done. He has no plan. He also has no plan for the water. There's really no long-term plans. Obviously, yes, it's driven by climate change. We're already there, man. Now we just have to mitigate this risk. And like where I live in West Hollywood, there's not going to be a wildfire. We have fire hydrants. We have stone buildings. We don't have a lot of, you know, overgrown brush and things like that. So, you know, there are certain areas where there's less of a risk of wildfire. We just need to go in and do an assessment, whatever it costs, handle it, because this is only going to continue to get worse year after year after year. And what's the economic cost of that? What is, you know, what are insurance companies having to pay for all this stuff? What about uh, last year or two years ago, for example, I had a a big tour for a big group all day thing on a bus. They already had the bus rented. I was just going to get on, show them some stuff or whatever. They were, the bus was parked up in uh, Valencia, someplace like that. There was a wildfire that morning. They couldn't get to LA. I lost that booking. So that's just me personally losing a couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. What about supply chains? Like there's tremendous environmental and economic. Also, the fires pollute more than industry does at this point. So all this BS about, oh, you got to drive a hybrid car. Oh, you know, you got to be sustainable. Oh, fossil fuels. It pales in comparison to just all of the natural pollution going on from these wildfires. It's a mess. Yeah, I think there's more attention paid to the cost of trying to mitigate climate issues than there is in the absolutely catastrophic costs that we'll incur if we just let them go unmitigated. It's very frustrating. Are We are incurring. We're, we're already there. We're there. Uh, yeah. This is, there was a, a Simpsons joke from recently. I don't want to take credit because I love the Simpsons. So I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Where Bart is like, this is the hottest summer of my life. And Homer's like, no, this is the coldest summer of the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, it's like we used to have a fire season and now it just doesn't really stop. You thought you hated wearing a mask during COVID-19. What about when you have to wear a mask because the air quality is so bad because these fires just burn for months and months and weeks and weeks and pollute the air? Yeah, there was that weekend a year ago when it felt and looked like Mordor outside. And mm-hmm. I I, t- I remember taking a walk around the block and coming when I came home, I felt like I'd smoked a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, it's unhealthy. So, you know, b- before you start telling me, oh, don't smoke cigarettes, they're bad for you, whatever. Uh, how about you make the air that I have to breathe not polluted? And kind of similar, another issue that I think is similar in that one of the, you know, the, the real problem is intransigence. Uh, the, it seems to me like the obvious way to deal with the housing slash homelessness issue is to build more, uh, yeah. to build more in more, in greater density, closer to transit hubs. Uh, the big roadblock to there, well, there are two. Uh, one is, I think, zoning type regulations, and the other one is is NIMBY neighborhood activists who get activated when somebody tries to build a a low income housing development near where they live, which is going on in Venice right now at the Reese Davidson complex, which is a big building that's been proposed that looks like a cool boat that's going to be on a parking lot. And obviously the people that live off of the canals are freaking out about it and, and 
filing lawsuits. What would you do about that kind of popular opposition? Well, this is what I don't understand about the NIMBY argument. They're like, we're losing the character of our neighborhood. Right. So the character of your neighborhood is a bunch of homeless people around. You've already lost it. It's gone. Like it's your neighborhood sucks. Like, and homeless people don't want to be homeless. That's another thing I think people don't understand. That's not the option that they want. It's not working for anyone. Um, so what I would do actually, and as governor, you don't really have power to do this. I think it falls more on um, states and counties. But honestly, what I would do would be, you know, all those uh, high rise condos, those luxury condos that are all over town that everybody hates and nobody wants to live in. And they're right. all in. I would eminent domain all of those, you know, bust them up. I, you know, you, you, nobody needs to be living in a luxury condo. But, uh, you know, divide them up into, you know, one, two, three bedrooms, studios sometimes, even though I think studios often a lot of times there's kind of an inhumane way to live. You have a single room with a toilet and a kitchenette in it, you know, like that's not really a great way to live either. But, um, yeah, turn all those luxury condos into affordable housing, subsidize it, just get people off the streets. And then we can talk about building more and, you know, building up fun boat design building and, and this, that, and the other. But like, we just need to like, just whatever it's going to cost, we just need to spend it. And by the way, all these real estate developers who built these condos based on like, you know, what their value is going to be, they'll get a nice payout from the government of the government, just taking the buildings off their hands. And they're already built. Also, all these shopping malls that are empty that nobody wants to go to that have a ton of parking. Uh, let's turn those into housing. Changing the subject a little bit. I think one of the things that brought you into this uh, endeavor was an interest in politics as theater. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I do think that in in some ways, California state politics are like a uniquely ridiculous example of that. Or do you think it's just more something that's true everywhere? Well, in California, in the West Coast, really California, though, and really Southern California more so. Um, actually, well, all of California. We have our, our wonderful media here. And uh, the media in Los Angeles in particular is even the local news is just a hair away from professional show business. So there's this like theater. Yeah. Is one word, but there's also this very, just like, and I mean, you, this is evident with the OJ Simpson trial, but there is this evident of the, uh, this, this, this precedent of the media, just like stoking the flames, just getting people riled up, scaring mm-hmm. people because if it bleeds, it leads. I traveled a little bit during the pandemic and when I was on the East Coast, um, first of all, you know, Philadelphia's got its local news. New York's got its local news. Our local news in Los Angeles, it's the Southland. It's millions and millions of people are all getting, you know, the same, uh, the same information, the same news. All right. The East Coast, the perspective was, hey, this is what's going on with the virus. You know, everyone, you know, should wear masks. We're not really sure. We're going to try to open schools, but we're not going to have to close them again. It was a lot more measured. The coverage in California was, did you hear that Gavin Newsom won't let Disneyland open? Yeah, the Florida one's been open for a long time, but uh, Gavin doesn't want you to go to Disneyland. I don't know. What do you think about that? Pretty lame. I thought you liked Disneyland, right? And then, of course, the uh, one of the media companies pushing this out, ABC7, owned by Disney. You know what I mean? So it's just like... It's just a self-promotion thing. So I would say California politics are different in that way is that we do have – and we have a lot of uh, influence here in California. We've got a lot of millionaires. We've got a lot of media. we got a lot of tech. So, um, yeah, California politics is its, own, is its own weird thing. But I can only imagine things are even more depressing in other parts of the country. But I don't know. I don't know election law and financing law in other places. I, I would not be surprised if in like the South, for example, what we think is so backwards, it was actually easier to run for office because they just don't have this bureaucracy and this, you know, bloated government that's, uh, you know, keeping people out. So I don't, I don't really know. But uh, California is unique in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think in, in some, d- depending on the size of the community, I think it, it might be easier to get your hat in the ring in some instances. 
Uh, obviously, the toxicity of politics as entertainment has been discussed ad nauseum. But I, as sort of an entertainer of a sort in your own right, uh, do you think that there's the potential to turn that to a force for good? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Donald Trump is very bad, obviously, but he did do some things right. You got to give credit where credit's due is he was able to use his his media experience to actually, you know, rile people up and get them excited and, and want to have change. Now, of course, with politics, you know, he has to bow to, you know, whatever, what's going to get him elected. And then that drifts into white supremacy and stop the steal and all that BS. Um, so that's bad. But like, why can't there be a good Donald Trump? You know what I mean? Why can't like Bernie, I guess, was kind of like that, but he doesn't have the charisma. He's not like a natural entertainer. You know what I mean? So I think absolutely we can use the power of populism against the ruling class. It's all it does. One of my fears was that almost people will vote for almost anything in America if you combine it with racism. Well, everything in America is about race. So I yes. mean, that, that's the, the first thing right there, um, which is another huge problem that, uh, uh, you know, we're making a little headway on, but uh, is also very bleak and depressing to think about. Yeah, and it's uh, it's an emotional issue for a lot of people. I think it's still it's too early to really figure out exactly what happened with the whole Trump phenomenon. I think a lot of people don't want to talk about it. The some of the wounds are still fresh. I think as time goes on, right it's right now it's kind of like how in the last year of George W. Bush's administration, Oliver Stone put out that biopic about him that nobody wanted to see uh, because it was still too fresh. But I think it, it will be interesting to analyze the Trump phenomenon years later. Oh, absolutely. It's always interesting to look back on history. I mean, like Nixon is my favorite president, not because he was such a great guy. In fact, the opposite. He was a terrible guy. But like the 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 scandal, the the fact that he was from California, the fact that he thought the rules didn't apply to him, and the downfall, like it's very interesting. It's a great story. It's great theater. He's also way to the left of Joe Biden. Politically. Yeah, but I mean, also like cheated in the election. You know, what I mean, like he's bad. Yeah, just a kind of a bad egg in a lot of ways. Yeah, Republicans always like give him like, well, he started the EPA. You know, he did do this, that, and the other, but like. He also cheated, like he broke into his opponent's headquarters, but he's just such a loser, like in over his head. I don't know. I find him relatable in, in a lot of ways. Well, I think he's an interesting contrast to you because you're all about full disclosure, it seems like. Yeah. Well, that's why he was actually recording himself in the Oval Office is because he thought that, you know, when he was remembered back on history and he's going to write his memoirs, he wanted a record of all the meetings he had. And he thought oh, that's interesting. Care. Yeah, he thought nobody would care. So that's why we have the Watergate tapes is because he he is because of his ego. He thought that this would be a, like a good thing to have in the Nixon library is all of his meetings with Kissinger about opening up China and like all that kind of stuff. But so, uh, so he really did believe that if the president does it, it's okay. And like any any rational person would understand the things that he was doing. Yeah. And he was winning. Like he was, you know, he was, he was getting what he wanted. So, you know, what's the difference? And then of course, uh, like a lot of people, he gets in over his head and uh, you know, there's things that are out of his control, you know, and and things spiral. And then he sort of checks out and, you know, just (laughs) drinks a lot and makes a lot of decisions while he's loaded and, you know, meets with Elvis and uh, resigns. And then we got the photo of him getting in the helicopter and, uh, you know, we look at it back on it of like, oh, all the great pop culture moments of Nixon. Nobody even cares about any of that stuff. Sock it to me. <laughs> so what what do you think makes you kind of uniquely a creature of Los Angeles? Um, well, I'm from Clown Town. You know, I know uh, I know the clowns. I know how things work. Uh, I don't take I take what I do seriously. I don't take myself too seriously. You know, I know that. Uh, you know, I've seen the lessons of all of the great 
Angelinos of the past, how you could fly to too close to the sun and get, you know, just destroyed by show business, destroyed by politics, destroyed by popular culture. And, uh, you know, I can actually take some some lessons from that and kind of eke out a little bit of a living for myself. What would you say is the darkest moment in your life? The darkest moment in my life? Um, well, obviously getting dumped is never fun. So anytime that no, happens, that can be really bad. Yeah, that's always a reset in a lot of ways. Um, but that is also good because you meet somebody better. So like whatever. Uh, but in the moment, that's always like a bummer. Um, uh, when my band with David Liebehart broke up, that was really tough because it's like your job and your creative thing and a friendship, you know, all kind of falling apart. But it ended up being good for me because I was able to move on to other projects and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't really get too depressed because I'm like – I mean, I get sad sometimes, obviously, but I'm a one foot in front of the other kind of person. So, you know, there's no choice but to press on. Yeah, I could drop out of the race. Yeah, I could not pay the filing fee and be a writing candidate. But like, that's not me. That's not what I want to do. So what is the what does success as a concept mean to you? Um, I think if you uh, a lot of people think like, well, if you think you're a success, you're a success. No, not true. Success is entirely determined on what other people perceive you as. If you're perceived of by most people as a success, then you are a success. If most people think you're a loser, then you're a loser. That's not something you can define for yourself. That's defined by other people. So uh, what what have you done to uh, to salt the minds and like, kind of bolster your own uh, image of, of success? Um, well, you know, if I say I'm going to do something, I try to do it. And I, you know, I put a hundred percent of myself into everything I do. Like I can't help it. That's just who I am. Um, so that when people go like, uh, yeah, oh yeah, this is Adam. He does the OJ tour. It's really cool. Oh, this is Adam's public access thing was so funny. You know, um, you know, just trying to have a good track record. So when people do look for those things in me, they're not disappointed. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, I wish you the best on the campaign trail. I'm sorry it's been a grind, but I appreciate your candor about it. I think that's of benefit to Kay Chung's listeners to hear from somebody who's been on the inside. Uh, Before we go, is there anything you'd like to leave us with, particularly any, any cause for hope in this cruel world? Okay, the only the only good thing about our system and capitalism, all that, is that there you you actually can get in. You can start from nothing and you can get in. It takes a lot of luck, it takes a lot of hard work, but you can actually switch sides. Where in, you know, another society you might be born into, you know, a poor family, you'll die poor, you'll there's never any mobility. So we actually we can have mobility. And the more haves that realize that and want to share things and, you know, want to make things better um, out of the goodness of their heart, the better things are going to be for everybody. Um, Or, you know, (laughs) guillotines, blood running in the street. That's, uh, that's the future we're looking at. So, um, you know, now that we're more aware of these things, we're talking about them. uh, Maybe things will change. Whereas before things definitely weren't going to change. So, I don't know, maybe. And if I can do it, you can do it. All right, Adam Papagan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, for coming on the show and schooling us. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you very much. It's important to keep your sense of humor. It's important to keep things in perspective, no matter how grim it gets, to preserve a little bit of the sense of magic, if you can, that you perceived when you were seeing things from a little bit further afield. When you see things up close, it's easy to lose that. And when you work hard and get your fingers in the grease and start front-loading a lot of hard work and you're not getting a lot of payoff just yet you don't know if you're going to get a lot of payoff if that's even going to happen 
Yes, it can be discouraging. And yes, you can burn out. And sometimes you can get hurt really badly. Something can happen where it doesn't stop hurting. Either it just kind of becomes the new baseline or the wound just keeps getting reopened and you think you would just get used to feeling lousy, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes it continues to hurt even after you would have thought that you would have gotten used to it. And you can just let that be and be with it as much as you can, which is easy to say. Uh, It's also easy to add that extra layer of suffering on top of the thing where you're not only are you suffering but you're suffering because you're suffering and you're probably experiencing guilt and shame because you don't think that you should be suffering and even if you think that suffering is inevitable you don't think that you should be freaking out about it but you are and now you're freaking out about that And you're in it. You're in the soup. And it doesn't feel like there's much that can be done. And it's scary. And then it maybe becomes less scary and everything just goes gray and bleak. And you're sad for a while and then it kind of fades into this numb grayness. And you'd like to be sad if you could, but you can't. You're not sure how anymore and I'd like to say just keep going I'd like to say it inevitably gets better obviously it does not necessarily but as much as you can it really is important to preserve a little bit of the um, the sense that you had of the thing before you were in it to just zoom way out and look at the map. Maybe it's a relief map with the bumps. You could run your hands over the representations of the mountain ranges. The map obviously is not the territory, but in some ways it's a lot more important in terms of what we perceive. I think if you care about climate change, the time to get involved with that is right now. Um, It's been presented over the years as consumers need to make more responsible decisions and we need to recycle and not run the bath for as many days a week as we do and uh, you know, start having rocks in front of the houses instead of the grass. And it's maybe there's something to be said for those types of decisions, but I think it's becoming really obvious that the leaders of government and the leaders of industry have to change their practices immediately to deal with the ongoing disaster that's going on and it it's starting to happen i banks are divesting from fossil fuel companies and fossil fuel companies are worried about they're they're not at all secure in their position at the at where they're at and with what they're doing right now and the uh Climate change denial is something that's not really happening as much anymore. It's actually transitioning into climate change fatalism. Like, it's easy for me to to be flip and say, well, I I hope the bees outlive the humans because I think they'll do a better job of rebuilding. And I think the last part is true. Uh, I think there are quite a few species that are more qualified to pick up the pieces should they survive whatever the ultimate 
wages of this are. But as a human, I am invested in the future of of the human species. Uh, I think we've got a long way to go. Uh, We're at a lower developmental stage that I would like to see the species go out on. I think there's the potential for greater levels of enlightenment than we have currently achieved. And I'd like to see us stick around and get there, whether it's through a lot of group therapy or some new psychedelic drugs uh, that maybe have already exist somewhere and just need to be found. Whatever it takes to get us up to the next stage I would very much like to see that happen. I'd like to see us stick around long enough to do it. Uh, I'm not as concerned about the rock. I think the earth is is going to continue even after it becomes unlivable for our species. I think maybe then it could start cleaning itself up and things could be better from that perspective. But I also think that a lot of what the human species has achieved is remarkable And progress has been made, new breakthroughs and understanding have been achieved, and a lot of fractal miraculousness has happened. And given a choice, I would like to see humans stick around and continue to build on that. So, I don't think that fatalism and nihilism in terms of the climate are wise choices. And... I one thing that I've noticed is rather than just outright denying that climate change is happening, the same factions are moving toward, well, screw it. The damage is done. Roll coal. And I don't want to see that triumph either. And if you haven't noticed, I am inclined toward depressive tendencies and outlooks on things i have a little bit of a uh, a black humor to my personality and it's i like to make jokes about the end because you know i can feel that pretty heavily in my own life a lot of the time but i when i catch my breath and think about it and think about what I really believe and want to believe and want to be a part of. I'd rather be on the side of the optimists. The optimists get things done, uh, to misquote Robert Anton Wilson. Most of the action is on the side of the optimists. They're doing things. So I'm interested in what they have to say, and I'm interested in the possibility of shaking things up and creating some structural institutional change on the the climate issue while being cognizant of the fact that it's very much interconnected with a lot of the other major issues that are going on. And that's all I got to say about that. I'm going to step off the soapbox. This has been the politics episode of Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes. Not something typically done on the show may not be done again but uh since adam took the time to come on i thought it would be a good idea to just let it be known that you don't necessarily want to give up you want to know what you're up against and acknowledge that it's a stacked deck in a lot of ways, but also take into account what you can do, what is inside of your purview, and take responsibility for that. Because uh, it makes a lot more sense to focus on what you can control. Uh, Even if there is no free will, obviously we've our brains have developed in such a way to perceive that we have free choice because I think from an evolutionary perspective, it's beneficial to us to believe and perceive things that way 
So I say lean into it. Make things happen. Shake it up. And I think if you're... If you tend toward nihilism and you are comfortable thinking dark thoughts, we need to hear from you most of all. We need representatives from the uh, the gloom and doom side of the aisle to speak up and talk about things and talk about things sincerely and candidly. And so it's a responsibility get involved with something uh, that you can try to build a little fortress and be safe in your own little world, or you can participate in the evolutionary process and collective problem solving. And what I hope is a long-term shift away from the notion of the sacred, isolated individual, I am a rock, I am an island, into perceiving ourselves as nodes in a network where we are working together because we have to be working together because we do not exist in vacuums and we do not exist alone. And that's enough of that, possibly forever. i You've been listening to Emerson Dameron's Medicated Minutes on Keichung, Los Angeles, 1630 AM in Chinatown, keichungradio.org. Dedicated site for the show is medicated-minutes.com. My name is Emerson Dameron. I'm the host and the brain trust of the show. There's a lot of other great programming on Keichung. Check out the website kchungradio.org thanks to Adam Papagan for stepping in and telling us a little bit about his experience thanks to you for listening thanks to everybody levity saves lives check one, check two check one, check two check one, check two rump shaker